Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome uh, back to Calvary Chapel South Bay. It's uh, Sunday night, and uh, we are super encouraged to be here in God's Word. I'm James McDonald. I'm thankful for the privilege of continuing our series on the promises of God. And, uh, you know, I just wonder how many believers who are uh, tuned in right now, I just wonder how many of you really could um, recite 10 significant promises that God has made. You know, the Word of God is filled with promises. And uh, last time we talked about, I will not fear, God is with me. And the message uh, this time is, I will not uh, doubt, God is in control. I will not doubt, God is in control. How could they be better timed for us? You know, before we even get into that promise though, I've been trying to build a little bit of what I would call a theology of promise. You know, theology is so important. Uh, it was A.W. Tozer who said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you and your theology is really what undergirds uh, everything in life. We have a theology of salvation, which is by a grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a theology of God's word that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Um, but do you have a theology of promise? What is the actual biblical teaching about the subject of promise? Let me encourage you to take your Bible and turn over. We're going to be in a few places this time because when we're trying to see what the totality of Scripture says about something, we don't just go to one passage. But I want us to start in Hebrews chapter 6. So if you'd open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6, that would be really great. Now, uh, last time under a theology of promise, we talked about how God is a promiser, that it is in God's nature. God is love. God loves his children. He sees our struggle. And what he gives for us on this journey of uncertainty called life, he gives us his promises because he doesn't want his children living in uncertainty in spite of the fact there's so little going on. Isn't it true that we have any real control over? And so God is a promiser by nature. And then I want to show this to you. This is the second thing under the heading of theology of promise before we even get to the promise of today. God keeps his promises. You just, you got to know that. It sounds so straightforward, but I want to show it to you in the scripture. It was important enough for the Holy Spirit to inspire the writers of scripture to reiterate this for us again and again that God keeps his promises. Now in Hebrews chapter six, I'm going to kind of really jump in on verse 13, but let me get a run at it from verse 11 where the writer of Hebrews says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope till the end. Man, I'd just like to grab some of the millennials, I guess they call them, and, and take them and shake them and say, we desire this for you. We desire for you to show the same earnestness of hope. How important it is that those of us who have gone before, who have a few more laps around the track, are passing the baton and saying to the younger ones coming after us, as the writer of Hebrews is saying here, we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance. Earnestness is passion or zeal. Assurance is confidence or focus 
And then notice this, until the end. And Jesus said, he who endures till the end will be saved. So lots of starters, not many finishers. And a lot of people, you know, up like a rocket, down like a rock. They start, they stop, they stink. God, help us to finish what we have started. He is faithful to complete that which he has begun. And as long as we are faithful to him, he will remain faithful to us Hebrews 6, uh, 12 then goes on to say, why? Why is this so important, this full earnestness until the end? Hebrews 6, 12. So that you may not be sluggish, you know, like, oh, here we go again. Time to go to church again. How much of America was in such a routine and now what had become so optional for us is the very thing we long to do and we can't do it. And how grateful we should be for the privilege that we have to gather and how frequently have we forsaken the gathering together and isn't God doing so many things in these days but one of them is God is reminding us to be grateful for the privilege of gathering together so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises boy there it is right there right it's, it's the difference between where we were and where we are. It's the difference between the past and the present. And uh, there was a time when, well, I think last week I called it, um, I believe, I receive. And today I want to call it um, today. So we have today. You see that? Today, today, today. And a bunch of little sad faces. That's how a lot of people feel about today. This is where I am today. And I'm trying to get to tomorrow, where everything's going to be great, and I'm going to be encouraged and excited, but today, I, but tomorrow, and what does God give me in the gap? Well, um, let me just say that God gives us the car that we're tr in traveling from things are not awesome to things are going to be awesome. The car that we're in are the promises. The fuel in the car is faith, faith in what? What's driving the engine of progress from today till tomorrow? The promises of God, faith in the promises of God, faith in the word of God. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's be reminded of our definition. A promise is the assurance that God gives his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. Again, the promise, a promise, biblically speaking, is the assurance that God gives to his children. This isn't for everyone. This isn't for that guy at work that claims to be an atheist. This isn't for, this is for you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that. I'm not assuming anything about you. We never should. I hope you can look to a time in your life when you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness. And if you have, you've become one of the heirs of promise. And I don't know what your grandfather left your parents, and I don't know what your parents are planning to leave you. And, and, but I can tell you this, what God has given to us, his children as his heirs, our inheritance is the promises. All the things that God is planning to give to us at some point, you're like, yeah, but promises, promises. That's the title of the whole series, Promises, Promises. Boy, look at this, Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. 
And thus Abraham had, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be able to just, sorry, sorry, I can't just do that. Got to go back to, so keep your finger in Hebrews chapter six and let's buzz back to Genesis. That's an easy one to find. You know, that's like numero uno, right? I figured you knew that. So um, something pretty awesome is happening here. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 15 and God has made some promises to Abraham He told him to get up from where he was, from his country, from his kindred, and go to a place that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll make your descendants like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. So Abraham is now, um, you know, a couple decades into this promise, and so far he doesn't even have any kids yet. Like, I like the nation plan, but, you know, can't we just start with one? So excuse me, in Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. (laughs) I don't know, man. I just think some things in the Bible are so funny. I don't know if you see it like I do, but verse two, Abram said, Lord, oh Lord God, what will you give me? It's like promises, promises. What will you give me? I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That's my heir. You keep saying you're going to make me a great nation, and my heir is Eleazar of Damascus. Come on. Like, my heir is the kid of my landscaper, kind of like that. Like, you gave me this big dream for stars of the sky and sand on the seashore. How about... One, how about we start with one? Because right now we're not doing uh, that great, God. Well, I don't know if you think I'm reading too much into it. I, <laughs> I hear his frustration and God heard it too. I just want you to know this. Joking aside, I know there's some things that you're trusting God about. There's some things that God's spoken to you through his word about. There's some promises that you're holding on to. And maybe like Abraham, you don't have a single shred of anything that you can point to, right? You don't have anything that you can say, well, see, that'll that'll tell you for sure it's coming. You know, sometimes God takes out of our hands the things that we thought were the evidence of blessing to come so that he himself, the Lord of the promise himself, can be the total object of our affection. But here in Genesis 15, God moves toward him. Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring. Member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, it's not gonna be Eleazar, calm down. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. He said, look toward heaven. And I know, I know the stars thing. We've done this before. When's it gonna happen? This is always the way with us, right? When God, when God, when God, When God, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if God would tell us when? There, wherever you're watching this, just lift up your hand if you agree. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if God would tell us when? But listen, God wants our faith not in the timeline, but in the one who controls time. And so he, this is the purpose of promises. He gives us the promises so we won't have to wonder. Now, what happens next in Genesis 15 is kind of like, like this. So watch this. He said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeas to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh God, 
How am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord says, bring me a heifer, which on the surface would not seem like an answer, but it's about to happen here. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now he's about to do something that's really awesome. See, there's two kinds of promises in the Bible. There's conditional covenants, like God said to the children of Israel, um, choose life that you may live. See, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Deuteronomy 30. Choose life that you may live. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Choose the righteousness of God and the character to God and obedience to that, and you're gonna get blessed. That's a conditional a covenant, and God makes numerous conditional covenants in the Bible. But there are also what are called unconditional covenants, and the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. Now, in this kind of covenant, they actually had a ceremony. Do you know? Do you, did you know about this? They would take an animal, cut the animal in half, lay out the body parts of the animal, and if you were the person that I was going to make this partnership with, um, we would work together, and we would take these animals, and we would cut them in half. Half would go here, half would go here. You're on one side, I'm on the other side. And then I would reach out and take your hand, and we would walk around together and stand between the sacrifices that we had cut up and laid down. You with me? And we, we, would, we would lay those down and stand there between the sacrifices. And that was a covenant where we were saying, look, even if you don't do your part, I'm still going to do my part. That's been such a hugely impactful thing for my wife and I. And some of the commitments and pledges that we made to one another and to serve the Lord were these kind of covenants. And I find this ceremony so beautiful. So God is gonna actually um, enact this ceremony back in Genesis 15 for one more second, because I really want you to see this in its context. So here it comes, Genesis 15. And they, they do this animal in half thing. They cut the birds in half. That's what this a word covenant actually means, to cut. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove, hey, 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 get away, get away, you know, like at a picnic or something. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, it's like he's whispering to him while he's sleeping. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Oh my gosh, this is the whole story of Joseph being prophesied by the Lord. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. And they should come back here in the fourth generation. Now we're at Moses the whole Pentateuch's being laid out here to Abraham about his descendants. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, which of course is in the north and It's really difficult to even understand the Bible if you don't understand that God is, by nature, a promiser. 
and that he keeps his promises. It's such an awesome thing. I just love that passage. Back with me to Hebrews 6. Did you keep your hand there? Just turn back with me to Hebrews 6. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abram, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, so that's what you do when you're making a promise. You kind of swear by the greatest person you know. I swear by my mother, you know, on my mother's grave. I would never think of con- is as much as lies within me on my mother's grave. I'm going to, you see, like that. But when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, like oh, I'm going to swear by myself. That's kind of awesome saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. There it is. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath, an oath is final for confirmation. This is so awesome. This is so awesome right now. You can't even handle what's about to happen in this passage. Take a deep breath. I'll give you five seconds to get ready for it because you're not going to be able to handle it. Four, three. Two, one, zero. Check this. Hebrews chapter six, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly, I, can I just start with this? God wants, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're carrying, whatever your uncertainty is, whatever the thing is that you long to see happen, whatever the thing is that you're fearing won't happen, according to the will of the Lord, God wants you to have assurance about this. Don't you think he sees you there? Don't you think he knows the burden you're carrying, what's keeping you awake, what's waking you up early? Don't you think God knows what that is? He wanted to show, I love this word here, more convincingly, more convincingly. It's actually a legal term. The New American Standard says when he wanted to even more show NIV says when he wanted to make it very clear, the NIV isn't very concerned about accuracy. The t- <laughs> Sorry. The, the term is convincingly when God wanted to settle the matter. Wow. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, why don't people keep promises? Because they change their mind. Why don't people keep promises? Because they changed their mind. Because they changed their mind. Because they were like, well, I wanted to do that because I thought it was blah, 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 but now that I'm blah, 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 I don't want to do blah, 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 blah. What did you just say? I changed. That's what I said. I thought I wanted to do that. I was going to be married to her forever. I was going to, that I was going to, I was going to, and then it changed and then I didn't. And God's, everyone say God's not like that. Come on, say it. God's not like that. God's not like that. God didn't want his promises judged by human standards. I'm not like y'all. So I swore no one greater to swear by than by my unchanging, immutable self. Wow. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, unchangeable. By the way, um, unchangeable character of his purpose. God has a plan, an established, immutable vision of a future reality 
that cannot be changed. Can I say that again? God has a plan. God sees this moment in the future, a certain unchangeable vision, and he will get there. The only thing that changes is whether we get to be a part, whether we get to participate. Notice that it says, when he wanted to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. That phrase there, a guaranteed, is used only here in the New Testament. It's actually the idea of, of an umpire that is calling, you're out. How many times did you see the umpire say, you're out, and then say, nah, you can still, you're, you're okay. How many times did that happen? Hold up the universal symbol for how often that happens. Never. And so God wanted to give his verdict. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is, are you having fun yet? This is a theology of promise. In which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Hey, y'all, it's impossible for God to lie. How hard is it for God to lie? Uh, It's impossible. Well, how often does he lie? Um, It's impossible. Notice it doesn't say unlikely. Notice it doesn't say improbable. Notice it doesn't say hardly ever. God doesn't need a do-over. God's not looking to review anything. Impossible for God to lie. It fires me up. Everyone say it. Say it's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. Too unchangeable. He wanted to show so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. You got another verse for that? I do. Titus 1, 2. God cannot lie. Make a note of this. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44 says, if Satan's lips are moving, he's lying. He's a liar and the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. Is he talking? He's lying. Is he not lying? He's not talking. That's Satan. God is a truth teller. He's the opposite. He cannot lie. God is the truth, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And he doesn't change. You know, my dad was always a big storyteller. And uh, so I kind of took that on too. And, and my kids had some favorite stories that I would tell from when they were a kid. And one of my favorite stories was when Kathy and I were living in Windsor, Ontario. It's where our oldest son was born. And... Uh, there was a guy in our church, his name, <laughs> if they happen to hear this, they will be laughing as soon as they hear the name. The guy's name was Barry June. He may be one of the nicest people God ever made. And uh, he announced to our little church there where I was a youth pastor that God was calling him to go to the mission field to Africa. So I was like, all right, that sounds good. And so he raised all the support and he wrote the letters and, and the day was put on the calendar and the plane tickets were bought and The trunk was packed and he was going to Africa to be a missionary and somehow the Lord had opened this door for him. So we had a kind of made a big deal of it and we prayed over him in the service and we had a lunch after the service and we were down in the basement and we gave him some presents and prayed over him and celebrated him. And and I think we shed a few tears and got around and laid hands on him and everybody walked him upstairs and there was a, he was actually flying out that afternoon. And so we put his trunk into a Uh, a big car and he got in with one of the church members and they were driving him across the border to Detroit and he was flying to Africa to serve God. And it was, it was a pretty significant goodbye. So we 
Went home for a little shorter afternoon, and before too long, it was time for the Sunday evening service, like right now. And uh, sure enough, we got back to the church. Who's in the lobby of the church? It's Barry June. Barry, Barry, what are you doing here? He says, oh, he says, when I found out how much everybody loved me, I just couldn't go. <laughs> this is shocking. And he never went. He just never went. Why didn't he go? <laughs> Changed his mind. He just changed his mind. And if you're like so many of us, caught in the up and down of circumstance, trapped in the on and off of various emotions that try to be our guide, how wonderful it is to anchor our souls to the bedrock of the eternal God who has said some things, y'all, has made some promises about how all this is going to work out. Check this. Let me finish the passage. It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. I'd have to say that's probably what I'm going for right here. That whatever you're feeling, whatever you're facing, whatever you're finding in these changing, perplexing, how long can this go on times? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Verse 19, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, there's a lot of places in the world, but the place that's being described here is the place in the tabernacle, the place in the original temple known as the Holy of Holies. God prescribed the exact measurements, the exact elements involved in making the altar, in making the curtain, and how big the space was going to be. How much change do you think, if you just had to take a survey, how much change do you think going on in the Holy of Holies? How often do they go in and do a, we're going to do a renovation in the Holy of Holies. Things are getting a little worn. We're going to make it a little bigger so more priests get. Do you think that ever happened? I'm going to go with never. Never. And in that place that represents God's presence and God's holy person is the, the two things that he swore by. Remember in the text? He wanted to express it more convincingly, so he swore by two unchangeable things for which it is impossible to God to lie. He swore by his word, and he swore by himself. So, I know that's kind of a long introduction to a sermon, but let me just say that um, that's a theology of promise. I've been to so many church services. I've heard so many sermons. I can't think of a time in my whole life I've even heard sermons on the promises of God. But I've never heard that anyone do that before. Give me a little of the theology behind promise. Why is it that God so often relates to his children in terms of the things he says? If God were to catch you standing at your kitchen sink today, washing the same dish for the third time, staring out the window and full of fear and doubt, if we were to come alongside you as Jesus came along the disciples on the road to Emmaus and expounded unto them from the scriptures all the things concerning himself, would he not go to his word? Would he not put his arm around your shoulder and say, but the things I, <laughs> but the things I promised you, oh, you have a little faith. Why are you doubting? See, let's go to uh, one of the great promises in this regard. 
I think after John 3.16, this has got to be one of the most highly regarded verses. In fact, I've done surveys on this and actually asked people to send in their favorite promises. And this one is usually in the top three of every person. I bet some of you know it by faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Hands up if you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We'll come back to Hebrews 6, but now I'm in Proverbs 3. If you want to turn there, let's just take it a phrase at a time. Under the heading, I will not doubt. Why? Because I'm going to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, is an exhortation not to doubt. The Hebrew word for trust is more volitional than our word uh, in English. In English, we use the word trust like a try. And uh, in Hebrew, trust is more like a do. I've made up my mind. I've got all my eggs in this basket. If this works out, then I'm going to look like I made a good play. If this doesn't work out, then I'm going to look like a total fool. That's what I'm on right there. That. That's what the trust is. Feelings of safety and confidence resulting from objective truth. Now, doubt, on the other hand, doubt's not so great. Doubt, like cancer is to your body, a devourer, like foreclosure is to your finances, a destroyer, like infidelity is to your marriage, total devastation. That's what doubt is to the Christian walk. Doubt is devastating. And we tend to see doubts, by the way, if I could just say this, we tend to see doubts as passive. Like, oh, I got all these doubts, man. I got all these doubts. Like they just happened to me. Like I got the virus. Just happened to me, man. I think it was on a countertop and I don't know who put it there, but I probably should have been using more of that stuff and washing my hands, but I just wasn't. And now I got this virus. That's not what doubt is. That's not what doubt is. God has made promises and doubt is far more volitional. (laughs) I have some favorite preacher sentences. Here's a favorite preacher sentence. The truths of Christianity have satisfied the greatest minds in human history. Most of us are not intellectually capable of framing a question that there isn't already a great answer for. If you're living with doubts, you chose to be there. Now, I'm not saying there isn't compassion for that. I have a ton of compassion for doubt, and I've struggled with doubt myself, and I've had to dig down and dump some doubts even in recent months. But listen, listen, always back to the same place. The doubt's on me, the faith is on God, off with the doubts, on with the believing, put off, put on. And I don't want you to feel like you're a victim. I don't want you to feel like somebody else is driving the car and you can't help where it's going, all right? You can choose what you put your trust or doubt in. Doubt's nothing we should hang on to. It's not like it's been an awesome friend, right? I really miss my doubts. Things were so awesome when I was filled with doubt. You never, never heard that. Never going to hear that testimony. Doubt isn't awesome. Faith is awesome. 
In fact, doubt is a consuming consequence of choosing to sin, choosing to suffer. That's what happens when we doubt. Nothing is getting better when God's children are filled with doubt. Nothing. In fact, just a little bit more about doubt in the scripture. Doubt is the soil that fear grows in. In Luke 24, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? This is the resurrected Christ. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Was that, was that the wrong tone? I always find it so challenging to try to reproduce Jesus' tone. I think we have a lot of reason to believe that it was very tender and full of compassion. I feel badly that that sounded like a rebuke. Can I redo it? And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. Handle me and see for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. I mean, how patient, right? Come on over here and put your hands on my hands. You didn't say that, that feeding of the 5,000, that didn't like settle a lot for you? When I was like transfigured, that wasn't like awesome enough? When I raised that kid from the dead? Did you forget who I am? Did you forget what I've done? God forgive us for forgetting all the things we've seen the Lord do already and for somehow thinking that he's changed. I'm the one that changed. I'm the one who got my eyes off the, remember Peter on the water? And he, he, he's like, Lord, if it's you, there's a big storm, remember this part? And Peter gets out of the boat because he's like that. And, and, you know, Peter is act first, think later. And, and anyone relate to that? And so he gets out of the boat and he starts walking. And the, the Bible says he had his eyes on Jesus. And he, <laughs> he's just like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then he, he, he's like, whoa, 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 look at the wind and the waves. And he started to say it, started to sink, started to go down. When we get our eyes off the Lord, and I don't have a rebuke for you, the Lord, the Lord, full of compassion and tender mercies for his children. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God does not have a furrowed brow toward you today because these uncertain days have caused you to be filled with doubt. He just wants... And I think the, the phrase, oh, you have little faith, is actually a term of endearment. But he just wants us to come back to the place of believing and trusting. God's got this. If you've got to go write that on a little post-it note and put it in 20 places in your life, God's got this. And I'm going to trust him and his promises. Well, a little more about doubt. Doubt is the consuming consequence of choosing to sin and choosing to suffer. I'm just taking some time to go over this because I don't think we always see ourselves as causal in the matter of doubt. Deuteronomy 28, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God, and it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you should, God will go a long way in teaching his children not to doubt. There's really no apple cart he won't flip over to get you and me to a place of faith. I'm like, was all this mess worth this? Worth what? Worth the level of faith that I'm bringing you into. 
If we won't let that work happen, this Deuteronomy 28 says, you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt. How many are living this sad life today? Look, in the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening, and at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart. I just can't get to a good place when I'm, it's late at night. I think, well, maybe tomorrow will be better. When I get up in the morning, I think, well, maybe after today. And, and that place of doubt is no place to live because with that comes, uh, doubt is also a source of immense uh, instability. James chapter one says, if you lack wisdom in the context of trials, ask God. He gives to all generously and will not withhold but let him ask in faith, not what? Not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Pastor and I were joking this morning about how thin water bottles are getting. Have you noticed they're getting so thin now? He said, it's like soon the water's gonna be coming in a baggie. I mean, I guess they, it isn't enough that you're selling us water because that's like mostly free, right? You're not making enough now. You got to cheap on the bottles. Well, anyway, they're just trying to cut these things down thinner and thinner. If I were to go down to, I don't know, Redondo Beach and walk out on the big circular dock out there and throw this out into the water on a wavy evening. How much control would this water bottle have over where it went? Um, zero is the answer. And the person who's filled with doubt is like that. Let him ask in faith, not doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. James 1, 8, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And how many points of instability in your parenting, in your marriage, in your finances, in your service to God, how many points of instability are in our life because we have rejected promise and we have embraced doubt? Well, you're doing the right thing getting into the word of God. Right now, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And I pray the Lord would increase our faith um, even in this moment. Because doubt is not a game, y'all. Doubt is torching everything tremendous about life. In fact, isn't that a great word, tremendous? I'd like to suggest that tremendous is a tremendous word. And why aren't we saying the word tremendous more? Well, I would say it, but I don't think very much is tremendous. That's what I'm trying to talk about. That, that because of doubt, so much becomes so thin and, and, and just enduring and just hanging on. But the abundant life that Jesus promised is a life of walking in faith and confidence in the promises of God. I will not doubt. Back to Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart, all in, totally all about trusting in the Lord. I want you to think about the next week, the next month the next quarter, and the next year. And I want you to carefully and studiously erase any plans not directed by confidence in God's promises. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How do I know if I'm trusting with all my heart? I want to trust with all my heart. Here it is. Don't lean on your own understanding. Well, what's leaning on your own understanding? No one needs a seminar on that. That's what we're really good at. I got a problem with my sister, and so I told her off. And I, I have a problem with my finances, so I've kind of bolted everything down. 
and, and I got a problem with my health, so I'm consumed with it. And, and that's leaning on my own understanding. I got this. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to take care of this. No. Come on, everybody say no. No, no, but come on, say it like I'm saying it. No, no, no. And trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That phrase acknowledge there is a beautiful, beautiful phrase. It's actually used in Genesis chapter four of Adam knew his wife Eve. It's intimacy, y'all. It's a beautiful picture. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I find that very moving. In all your ways, lean into the intimate things that you know about Abba Father and how he has gone out of his way to fill our lives with beautiful promises. Wow, I'm so grateful for that. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths, New King James says, straight. Uh, One translation says smooth. Literally, the idea is he will pave the way. God will pave the way. Total trust in God gets me to the best possible place in the shortest possible time. Can I say that again? Total trust in God gets me to the best possible place in the shortest possible time. Why? Because we believe that God is sovereign, that he is completely and totally in control of, what's he in control of? Everything. Well, but like everything. Ephesians chapter one says that he determines all things according to the counsel of his will. All right that God is in complete and total control. Well, how does that, how does that square up with, with, with um, free will? Um, it doesn't square up with it, but you know, I don't know about you, but I was not on the authorship committee of scripture. There's some things God's never explained to us. I think the reason why God didn't explain to us how his sovereign control of the universe and the free will offer whosoever will may come. God doesn't explain how those fit together because he would have had to make your head as big as Jupiter to do it. That would messed up other things called like the solar system. God has secrets and he told us that he has them. I was talking to Pastor Jeff recently about something that's mutual to he and I and I asked him to tell me what his plan was and he said, no, (sighs) Come on. No, no, he's not going to tell me. He has a secret. I got to be honest, having led so much for so long, it's really nice to have someone who has a secret and couldn't we just trust? And couldn't we just trust the God who says in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God and those things which are revealed belong to us? I hope you're not getting cheated out of the beautiful promises of God's glorious sovereignty by some theological debate. It's an incredible place to trust. How it squares with everything else is a secret that God is holding on to, but the promises, he's made those known to us. God's promise to sovereign oversight over all human activity defeats doubt with finality. You hear that? God's promise to sovereign oversight of all human activity defeats doubt with finality. God's sovereign over rebellion 
Read the book of Jonah. The Lord appointed a great wind. The Lord appointed a great fish. The Lord appointed a great plant to deal with Jonah's rebellion. God is sovereign over sin. Joseph's brother sold him as a slave. Some sketchy lady falsely accused him of immorality. The baker and the butler forgot him completely. All those people sinning against Joseph, but God got Joseph to the place he wanted him to be because he's sovereign. God is sovereign over world events. Read the book of Esther. I'll let that be your assignment for this week and just see how God rules. The, the, the name of God is not even used in Esther, but the story of God is told beautifully by his sovereign oversight of the affairs of men. God is sovereign over everything. Proverbs 16, says that the lot falls into the lap, but its decision is from the Lord. And of course, the great promise in the New Testament that God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him. It's so fantastic. God's promises are exceedingly great and precious. And in the Bible, we have categories of promise. Over and over and over and over, he says, don't fear, I'm with you. Over and over and over and over, he says, don't doubt, I'm in control. That's the, the first promise is, I will not fear, God is with me. Second promise, I will not doubt, God is in control. Now, I want to think about you like this this week. If you've got your Bible in your hand, I want you to take it right now. I'm going to pray for you. God, we are holding on to your promises. We are resting in them. We are trusting in you. We are waiting upon you. And it is true, your promises are exceedingly great and precious. We have nothing to fear. We are heirs of the promise that you are with us. And we have nothing to doubt. You're in control. It doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what they say. You're in control. So deliver us from doubt. Help us to trust in you with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways, knowing that you're making our paths straight. What a promise. We embrace it afresh. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.